Welcome in everybody to another episode of the Die Hard Hoops podcast. We had listeners just hitting us up. It was unbelievable. We could barely keep up with the direct messages asking if we were going to touch on this Steph Curry recent hot streak. And I'm more than happy to do that. Steph Curry is one of my favorite players. Uh, so Steven's with me here. And before we, we do that, I did just want to acknowledge the fact that this episode is one day removed from the Derek Chauvin uh, verdict. And I'd be remiss if, if I didn't just give some, some views on that. And so I do not delight I guess what I want to say in someone like Derek Chauvin having to lose his freedom, but it was absolutely uh, a just verdict and uh, just justice is it's biblical, man. And it's something that I feel really strongly about. And so I don't want to demand healing from, from any specific party. This doesn't automatically assume healing um, or guarantee healing, I should say, but I do hope that it can be some, some type of step in the right direction. So just wanted to acknowledge that before we get rolling here. Yeah, I couldn't say it any, any better than that. Um, you, uh, justice, man, justice. And, um, you know, I just hope that day by day, week by week, year by year, we're, we're in a better place because we're, we're a lot farther behind than we, we should be in our society today, but, um, hopefully things like this, you know, are something that we can, we can look at and see and say, Hey, as a society, we got to do better. Let's do better. Yeah, no doubt. And, and also I guess on a brighter note, you got your second dose of the vaccine today. So how are you feeling so far? <clears throat> so, uh, I want to share a funny story real quick before we talk about Steph Curry. Um, so I got my, I got my second dose today and a shout out to all the healthcare workers. What you guys do is just the real heroes phenomenal, just to streamline everything going in. And the other thing about all the healthcare workers that I've been around getting my two vaccine shots is everybody's so kind. And I'm like, how are you being this kind? You're dealing with all of these people, you know, all this stuff is going on. Things are crazy. You're risking your health by, you know, people possibly could be coming in and they have COVID and they don't even know it, you know, just all these different things. And they're so kind, they're so polite. And just, I'm just so impressed with, with everybody. So after I'm driving back from uh, get, getting the vaccine, I'm getting some gas and I see something that I've never seen before. All right. And uh, I'm going to preface this by like, let's tell you, you could come in with your big beard and a mohawk and it's like, Hey man, just, just do your thing. But there are certain things that you don't see very often that stand out and you're like, Hmm, I'll remember that for a while. So today was one of those things. I was, I was at a stoplight. Granted, I'm in Myrtle Beach, so you see some strange things every now and then. And there was a man and a woman on a scooter, all right? Each each had their own scooter. They were the motorized kind, right? Have you seen the motorized kind? <clears throat> so there were a few things that, that caught my eye. One, they were dressed in like Harley Davidson biker gear, right? Especially the guy. He had like the black cutoff tee, he had the the black like bandana around his head, really tatted up. And I was like, this is like the biker guy, except he's not on a Harley. He's on a motorized scooter. And it was one of the motorized scooters where instead of standing on it, there's this little tiny bike seat on it. And so I'm, I'm just looking at these two people that look like they should be on a motorcycle. And instead they're riding these little motorized scooters with these, these seats on them. And neither one of these people are 
small people to say, like, I wouldn't recommend you ride a motorized scooter. It would probably be pretty painful, right? If you're a bigger person, I would think like it's a bike seat that you're, you know, with this middle motor and they're, you know, they're crossing the street and then they're going on this place. I'm right between two quite busy highways heading into the Myrtle beach area. One will take you more into Myrtle beach, one more to the South side. And they're crossing this street and there's not even a sidewalk where they're going. They're like on a side next to like one of these little ditches. And I'm looking around saying, where are they going and where are they coming from? And how did they get these little motorized bikes? Because there's just like nothing around here where it's not like you're coming back from your house. Like these are busy intersections and stuff and on this little stop site. So um, anyway, I got my vaccine today and I saw something that I've never seen before. I mean, it's like they traded in their, their Harley for a motorized bike, you know, the times are changing. Do you think that's like the perfect summarization of what Myrtle beach is, is, is those people on a scooter? I will say this Myrtle beach, you get a taste of everything in Myrtle beach. You get that Southern twang, you get things that you look and you're like, I think I'm back in the thumb of Michigan. You get a lot of East coast people like, um, I have three neighbors. They're all from New York, the neighbor to my right neighbor to my left. And the one across the street are from New York. Right. So you get up because a lot of people that live in the upper East coast, they want the warm weather. So they just come straight down the coast and they move to Myrtle beach when they, when they retire or get older. So you literally get like some of everything. And it's very much like city meets uh, very rural in a, a short window, um, combined. And then you throw in the tourism there's just tourists everywhere. You know, when you go by somebody, they're just as likely or probably more likely to not even be from Myrtle beach than live in the area. So, um, it's fitting to see something like I saw today, um, which should tell you how unique it is because in my three years here or whatever it's been, I've seen some pretty strange things, man. Seen some pretty strange things, but today was one of them. Diversity is the spice of life, man. Mm-hmm. And um, yes. as we as we talked about you getting your second vaccine, I got mine coming up. I think it's tomorrow. No, next week. Not till next Wednesday. Um, and the only the only person that might be doling out more shots than the the health departments might be Steph Curry, but he's he's hitting at a crazy clip. He's not sacrificing efficiency for the amount of shots that he has, and so. Actually, what I wanted to start is I went on ESPN just to try to find like a summarization of what Steph Curry has been has been doing lately. So this was from a recent ESPN article, and I'll just read through maybe like five of the sentences that I found to really summarize just this crazy stretch that he's on. So as we are recording this, his his latest feat was against Philadelphia 76ers, also uh, his younger brother's team. He poured in 49 points, 20 of them in the fourth quarter. They beat the Sixers who had him beat uh, 107 to 96. And he was the first player in NBA history, 33 or older to score 30 or more points in 11 straight games, passing the late legend, Kobe Bryant, who did it in 10 straight games back in 2012, when he was trying to drag that sorry Lakers team to the playoffs. So Curry is now averaging 39.9 points. You round up to 40. 6.6 rebounds and 4.3 assists over 10 games in April. He went 10 of 17 from long range on Monday night and has hit 54 three-pointers. That's that's 54 over his last six games. Now this is where it gets 
just insane. He has 21 career games with 10 or more threes. Steve Kerr said that 21 career games with 10 or more threes. Clay Thompson is second with five. Steph has had four of those games in the last five games. This is stuff you just, you don't see. You got to tune in, go back, watch the highlight tapes. Um, They're going to be about 10 seconds long, 10 minutes long from each of these games. I don't know what's happening right now. It's uh, he's hit one more stat that really stood out to me in the past week. He's hit more threes than every team in the league, except the Denver Nuggets. I think I heard that. And think of the era we're in. This is not, this is not early nineties. Teams are chucking threes. One player. Um, it's unbelievable. It reminds me of a couple of different uh, Kobe stretches. As you mentioned, the, the, about the same age when Kobe, you know, the Achilles season, right. Where, where he gets injured, dragging that, that team to, to the playoffs um, has the Achilles tear. He's just on a, you know, he's playing at an all time level and his body gives out. Um, and I hope that it is a sign for what Steph Curry, you know, I hope that he's, he's healthy and continues to go on this magical run. Um, the other year it reminds me of is the 0506 Kobe season, you know, he's averaging over 35 uh, in a game and you just look around and you're like, he's got no help, right? He had Lamar Odom, made a really good third best player on a championship team. Um, and after him, I mean, there was nothing really on that team. And uh, so it, it reminds me a lot of Steph Curry and he's got Draymond who this isn't the Draymond of old. I'm sorry. Like he can't, he can't shoot. He has the IQ. He has many of the skills defensively still strong, not as good of a defender as he used to be. Even a few years ago, his shot has, any of his powers shooting the basketball are gone. Um, so it's just impressive what, what he's doing. Taylor, uh, have you ever been around someone or maybe have you ever had a feeling where just like everything you throw up is going in? Yeah. I mean, I've been around people like that and I've also experienced it a few times in my own playing career, but never, you know, never in this way. Like it's, it's almost like in this recent stretch with Curry that it doesn't feel like just a hot streak. He, the thing about Curry is that yes, he's, he's ramping things up in these last 10 games from, from his normal performance, which is still exceptional, but it always seems like a combination of skill and also just being on a hot streak in a way that I don't think I've ever seen or I haven't seen many other players. I think Clay Thompson also comes to mind where if the dude is drilling 10 threes, you look at it and you're like, man, this guy, yeah, he's going bananas on the court, but he's also just one of the best shooters that we've ever seen. And so those are, those are the things that for me are like hard to parallel is I feel like my experiences of even games where I hit like eight threes. Yes. It was a combination of hours in the gym and also being on a hot streak, but to be honest, it felt a little bit closer to just being on a hot streak. And Steph has never given me that impression with his ability to shoot the ball. It always seems like it's 50, 50. Um, it's, it's hard to explain the combination that Steph Curry is. It's kind of like, a we haven't seen it from that position before. 
And, you know, we, we've seen similar streaks from like a Jordan or a Kobe. Um, you know, we, we never saw Wilt Chamberlain play, but some, I mean, you got to go way back to find some of these crazy stretches that he's, he's doing. And <clears throat> I mean, I remember my last, my last four games in college, I scored over 20 points in at least one of the halves. So pretty hot, right? To If you're going to put up over 20 in one half, you're pretty hot. Um, and I did that for four straight games. And then uh, the game before that, I think I had like 28 and I was close to having 20 in that game too. So I went five games one time where I was like, I'm in the zone and it, it doesn't matter what you do. I got to an answer for you. And, and that's one of the cool things um, that Steph Curry is doing. And I don't, you know, I, it's like blasphemous for me to compare even my experience to that. Um, but as I'm speaking to normal people, like I've been in the zone, I've, I've, you know, I know a little bit of what, what that's like, where the player who's guarding you is glad they're like, yeah, I want him to take this shot. But you're saying to yourself, yeah, you want me to take that shot, but you know what? I want to take that shot too, right? You think you're forcing me to take that shot? That's actually the shot that I want because that's how good I am. And that's how much of, a, of the zone that I'm in. And Steph Curry is in one of those zones. And it reminds me a little bit of the 73 win season where he was on a, you know, just smoking hot. And I am even more disappointed that Kevin Durant joined the Warriors those oh so few years ago. Because think of what we missed. We missed more seasons of this. We missed more seasons of Steph Curry obliterating all the record books, right? He's 33 years old. Now he's had more time off. He's hungry. He's motivated. Um, but if you take Kevin Durant off those teams, a team that had already won a championship, they've already been to NBA finals. They won 73 games in a season. And you have another, what was it, three? You'd have another three years without Kevin Durant on that team. Think of how much fun that would have been to watch. Think of the records that he would have mm -hmm. had he played without Kevin Durant for those three years. And do they win um, two more titles? No, I would say they win one more title somewhere in there. Um, it, it's just like... There's so many things that I think of. Another thing that I think of is and we do this too much with players as ranking, but how do you see Curry, um, you know, as you try to place the streak, like how do you compare that to anything that we've seen? And then when you compare him to a player and some of the all-time greats, you know, where do you kind of stack him? I mean, if we're talking about the point guard position, is he number two? He's at least number three. I mean, he doesn't have as many championships as magic. So I think that you got to keep magic up there. But when we, when we talk about not only the fact that like, if he retired right now, he would have three championships and two of those were with Durant. Okay. Durant chose to join him. And so that doesn't, to me, that doesn't really hurt his resume in the same way that it would hurt like a Durant's resume or even a LeBron's when he went to the Miami heat. Like it's not the same thing. He was, he was the Oakland boy. And players are choosing to play with him. So that 
resume in terms of points, uh, all the three point records that he has, as well as the championships, I think it puts him at number two. And I think what cements him there is the fact that he's also kind of revolutionized this game. So we see other guys that are, are trying and they're doing pretty good impressions like Dame Lillard. Come on. Like the dude, the dude is cold and he, he can do a lot of the same stuff, but it hasn't translated to the amount of success. And there's a lot that goes into that organizations that you're in and everything. But we have these players that are now trying to copy some of the stuff that he's doing and he's the original, he's the original of it. And so I think I got him at number two point guard wise. You know, before this season, I had him ranked as number three. Um, I had Isaiah Thomas as number two and I'm, I'm beginning to rethink that. And um, it's tough to try to classify somebody um, in the all-time category when their season's not over <clears throat> or their career's not over, I should say. Um, what Isaiah Thomas did in the middle of Bird, Magic, and Jordan can't be understated. He's the best player on back-to-back title teams. In, uh, in a game that was being played in undersized players, they've never been like the main, you know, best player, but especially back then in the eighties and nineties, they really weren't. I mean, Jordan was six, six and he, him coming out of the scene as the best player in the league at, he was the shortest player that was the best player in the league. Magic, magic was six, nine bird was six, nine Kareem seven foot, what two, seven foot three, something like that. I mean, all the players before him were all bigs centers that were some of those all-time greats. Even a Dr. J was like six, seven, six, eight. So for Isaiah to do what he did at, I think, 6-1 is crazy. So trying to figure out, you know, it's it's hard to compare when that there's that many decades in between. Um, And what Isaiah did hasn't been, in a sense, done before, like the way that he went about and did it with the bad boys. Um, So there's something there. So I have trouble like bumping Steph up. But when you say Steph Curry has literally changed the game, that makes me think, yeah, maybe he is number two. Maybe he is number two because it's more than just shooting with him. It's more than just the the scoring statistics. He's literally changed the way that teams have to strategize to play against him. He's changed the way that other teams have um, accepted three-point shooting. Yeah, it was going to come, but when he was doing it, it's popularized that. So teams, organizations have changed the way that they play. Individual players have seen what he's doing and changed the way that they play the game. That impact right there makes me lean a little bit more towards, okay, he is the second instead of, instead of the third. Um, and in my opinion, if we take those top three guys out, there's a big gap between whoever you might put at at number four. I mean, maybe John Stockton would be number four. I'm not even quite sure who I would put at number four. I, just because I think there's that big of a gap between like those three guys and everybody else. What do you think? Yeah, and I think honestly, I think it's the same thing like in in the league right now, where we've had conversations about Lillard and Curry and how would they how would they look if you like switched switch their teams, you know, how would Lillard do in golden state system? And how would, how would Curry do uh, with the blazers? But it, it seems like if you're going to put Lillard as the second best point guard right now in the league, 
that there's still a huge gap between him and Curry. And that is, again, like no disrespect to Lillard. These are just things that we haven't seen before. And I think for me, I would probably put Chris Paul at number four ahead of Stockton. Um, But I'm actually looking at the things that Chris Paul is doing. I think he's 36, maybe, maybe even older than that, 35 or 36. And his game is aging so well. And so why I feel kind of comfortable putting Curry, let's say at number two, although I would love to see Isaiah Thomas play in a league like this. I think he would be, he would be like Allen Iverson type stats, except probably like able to hit threes a little more consistently than Iverson could. But I don't see a world in which Curry can't look exactly like Chris Paul does at his age, except maybe even more dangerous and still able to, to hit deep threes and impact games at an even higher level that someone like Chris Paul can at 36, who has the Phoenix Suns probably going to get, get the one seed in the West and what's a really tough West. So I think by the time it's all said and done, like you told me there'd be a 38 year old Steph Curry running around and still playing on a championship contending team. I wouldn't be at all surprised. And I think that the fact that Curry is so dangerous I mean, he can play in a system. He can move without the basketball so well. That's what separates him from, you know, Dame Lillard, in my opinion, in many ways is he's, he, he draws a double team when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And he gets guys slips to the basket, alley-oop dunks, simply by being in a corner and coming off of a wide pin down. Somebody just slip it, get a wide open shot because he draws that much attention and he's that good at moving without the basketball. He's like a combination of Reggie Miller. Um, you know, you throw Damian Lillard's range and shooting in there, which is weird to compare him to Dame because what Dame was doing came after Steph really popularized it. But that's the closest comparison as far as somebody who has that much range and it still goes in at a high level. Um, so you have that level of shooting that type of off ball movement. And then the fact that his handle is crazy and his passing is crazy, very much like a Steve Nash. So I'm thinking like if you, if you went and created some athlete that was, you know, a combination of Reggie Miller, Steve Nash and Damian Lillard, you get like Steph Curry. Right. And um, which amazes me at some people don't respect Steph Curry enough. And my, like, they, they're just like, hey, he's not that good. And so I wanted to ask you, as we were doing this podcast is you see these stats, like he's doing things that have never been done before. He hit 10 threes in a game four times in a week, in a week. That's nuts. Right. Why don't you think he gets the respect that he deserves? I mean, this is just from things that I've heard through you know, other podcasts and stuff is that some players kind of loathe him a little bit because he grew up in an NBA family. And though with that kind of comes some opportunities and a lifestyle that a lot of the majority of the other players in the NBA didn't, didn't get. And it's really interesting because I think for what, what makes that situation unique is that if you grow up, like I can only imagine, but if you grow up in a family where your dad played in the NBA, I think that can either create a sense of complacency for you, or it can do the opposite, which it seems like it's what it's done for, for Steph and for his brother. And also I think his sister's a really good volleyball player too. So it can create complacency. You can be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. 
or you can just become some psycho competitor that, you know, is trying, is striving for perfection in everything you do because you've seen it done the right way your entire life. And you've been around professionals and, and seen how they go about their business and probably seen how things don't go well either for some specific players. So I think that there's some of that disconnect between him and the other players. And I think there's other things that might play into it too. Like he's, he's loved, he's adored in a way that very few other players are. And whether that's due to the, because of their own doing, you know, Durant, he lost a lot of fans when he decided to go from Oklahoma city to, to golden state. And then it kind of did an even worse thing and joined the nets and is building this super team and LeBron, the same thing where you can try to build your fandom, but each time you, you leave a team and go to what others could deem as an easier situation, uh, you, you lose some people. And I don't think that players appreciate how beloved Steph is because he's been on the same team. It's been with a really good organization that can consistently give him support and players in support roles. And so I think it's, it's probably some combination of all that and even some things that I'm missing. Let me throw a few, a couple other thoughts um, as well. I think that, and this isn't just the players, you know, if the players are disrespecting you, I think that as good as he is, there's a lot of um, people in the media who don't put him up. Like it's fair to say he's the best player in the world. Right. But is anybody really saying that? I don't know. Or maybe just lately, but if you think about his body of work, from that first year winning a championship. I mean, he's either the best player in the world at any given year or among the top three, right? And you throw, you, you can throw, okay, LeBron in there, you throw Durant in there and you throw Kawhi Leonard had the, the one year with the Raptors where you're like, okay, this year he is the best player in the world. But Steph Curry is in that mix pretty much the entire time. Right. Um, again, him and him and Durant kind of balanced each other out because Durant joins him and now they're on the same team. So neither one was kind of doing what they could have done on their own. But a couple of the things from the the media side, I think that a lot of people you want to say, okay, like Zion Williamson, LeBron, there's these athletes that come along and you see them at an early age and you're like, that player's going to be special. And then they come up and sure enough. They are Steph Curry couldn't get a scholarship to an ACC school. Right. So him going to, to Davidson, I mean, there, there wasn't this blueprint long, long ago that said, this is going to be one of the greatest players of all time. And so we don't like that. Right. In general, the media doesn't like that. They want to be right all the way along. You don't want to see this crazy story of, yeah, his dad played in the NBA, but let's be honest, he wasn't this juggernaut player. He's pretty light. He's, he's frail. He's so he played at a small college. He's a pretty happy dude. Right. And most of the time we seem to, to put players at a higher level if they have like some snarl to them, right. So some attitude and he's a happy guy. He doesn't play with a chip on his shoulder. Right. We always talk somebody's got a chip on their shoulder. That's what helps him go to the next level. He doesn't play with a chip on his shoulder. He, he plays like he doesn't have, a care in the world. You know, the positive of not having a chip on your shoulder, not trying to prove anybody wrong. 
you can play with freedom. You can play relaxed. I think it's easier in, in a way to fall into a, the zone because you're not thinking about who said what and who, who did all this. No chip, more freedom, right? Part of the reason why I think this is, is he's a Christian dude, right? He's, he's talked openly about his faith and the role that that plays in his life. And so I think that uh, from the outside looking in, it's easy to label a Christian as soft, right? Not having the, you know, what it takes to, to go all the way. He's clearly proven that that's not true, right? But it's easy to put labels on people. So the fact that he he's a Christian, I think people say, ah, well, he just doesn't have enough to be the best. He plays with nothing to lose. And when, when you play with nothing to lose, you're more likely, I think, to have these games where it's just off the charts in the zone and he's on a burner right now like we have literally never seen before. So those are just a couple of, of my thoughts that I wrote down on why he's different than most players and those differences might be why you know the media or other players don't give him the respect that he deserves. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that probably makes sense and it's maybe, you know, it's easier to perform on those big stages when you feel like you got stuff tied down at home. You know, if he's got his faith in line and he knows that he's in a healthy marriage and his kids are good, uh, clearly loves his family. You know, I think that there's something to that, that it might be easier to, to perform. And it's interesting because I think about the smile versus the snarl and how I, he might be the first player that I have really appreciated when he smiles rather than when he snarls, like most players that I'm watching, I'm like, you guys, you got to snarl a little bit, like for me to really, really enjoy you and be like, like for me, that that's the, them giving me permission to cheer for them and that, Oh, now they're in it because they're snarling. And for him, it's like, no, when he's doing his shoulder shimmy, that's when he's really in it. And that's when he's having fun. And um, again, maybe that all plays into why, why people don't like him quite as much in, in terms of his fellow, his fellow uh, players in the league, but it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff and it's unbelievable what we've been watching. And I, I feel like even last year we missed out on some of this stuff. This, I think this is even a level beyond his, his unanimous MVP season and to see him, I think what makes it so special. And this goes back to the question you'd asked of, have I, have I experienced a hot streak like this? either for myself or, or witnessed it where when you're tuning into a Steph Curry game, you're not waiting to see if the ball goes in. You just feel like you just need him to get a shot off it, you know, and there's differences between that and other players where you're like, I got to see, I got to see a couple shots go in. And as Steph's bringing the ball down, it's like, Oh, are they just going to set a ball screen at uh, 35 feet? And he's just going to, he's going to come around that screen and just launch it because in your heart, you feel like it's an automatic three points just by it simply leaving his hands. Those are things that we don't see. Like, I don't, I'm not a baseball fan, but I know there's been players that it's like, we just got to, who was the dude from the the Red Sox? The big, the big guy, um, Ortiz. whatever he, Ortiz. Yeah. Like when he would go to the plate in clutch situations that you felt like that's all you needed. Like we don't need him to get a hit. We just need big him to pop be at the plate. Yes. Big papa. Exactly. Man, I, I'm glad I can tap into you for the, the baseball knowledge, but that's what it feels like. And I think that's why it's so special. Yeah. Um, 
there are certain players that when they get like this, it's must-see TV. And um, Kobe was like that. I mean, I remember there was a stretch where it, on, you know, it was like sports center every day. And you just, you'd wake up in the morning because they're playing on the West Coast. And you just, you couldn't wait to turn on Sports Center after the Lakers had played that night before because you just wanted to hear what crazy game that Kobe had or what unbelievable streak that he'd done and first person that hadn't done it since like Jordan. And Curry's on one of those tears right now where you have to see it. The way that he's improved his ball handling and his ball handling has been elite for like five, six years, but um, there's something that we teach with our players at our camp and I call it a slide dribble or a drift where you're moving laterally you're making these moves, but you're always keeping your hips in line to the rim. So if the defender spaces back, you just shoot it right away. Instead of turning your body as you're making moves, you're making your moves, but the ball is the only thing that's moving your, your body. If it is moving is moving laterally, like an upright defensive slide. If that, if I'm explaining this, okay. And so we teach a couple basic moves off of a drift. And so like, if I, if I drift to the right and the defender doesn't drift right with me at the same pace, I got a new driving angle and I go, if I drift right and that defender cuts me off hard to the right, boom, I, I've got the defender's momentum going to my right. Now it's going to be easier for me to cut back and go to my left and drive. And then if I drift and it gives me a little crack, then I just pull it. And then you get more advanced and you say, okay, not only I'm going to drift with the ball to the right, but I'm going to take my body to the left. Or you might make a between the legs move where it goes right to left. So the ball goes left. But as you're going right to left with the ball, you go to the right with your body. All right. And so now you put the defender in a position where they're like, okay, do I stay with the body or do I stay with the ball? Cause they just went in different directions. Dude, he is doing like the basic things that I'm explaining at camp. He's doing that times like 1000 different variations with his feet and his height and his change of speed and the ball being high and then low and string it out and forward, backward, playing the angles, moving laterally. And I mean, he's the best in the world at using, you know, what I call the drift. And part of it is because he just needs a crack to get that shot off and his ability to shoot it off the dribble, off a sidestep, off a step back. And then being able to move without the basketball, come off screens, going a hundred miles an hour and just catch and pull it and not even be on balance and still make it. We, we truly have never seen uh, a player be able to, to do that. Uh, then you throw in the fact that he can do all that stuff and he can knock it down consistently from 30 feet. It's mind blowing, man. I mean, it's mind blowing. You, you were, a, you were a player that could really shoot it. I was a player that could really shoot it. And to be able to shoot at that consistently with that many variations and from that depth, when it's the other team's sole priority to try to stop you and slow you down, it's unbelievable. And again, I it's not Kobe. He doesn't play anything like Kobe. But it takes me back. I remember watching the 62-point game, right, where he scored 62 points in three quarters. You remember who that was against? Dallas Mavericks. He outscored the entire team. Outscored the entire team. I also remember a game where I want to say he had 56 against Utah and he had something crazy against Utah. And that may have only been in three quarters as well. And they had a guy named Andre Kirilenko on their team, who was one of the best defenders in the league. 
Utah was one of the best teams in the league at that time. AK-47. AK-47. He gave people nightmares, like 6-7. You know, AK-4, they called him AK-47 because, right, AK-47, it's a plane, right? It's got wings. AK-47. AK-47 is a gun. Oh, there was a name he had. I swear he had an airplane name. (laughs) I thought it was, I think it was a play on his number. He was 47. And also he is from Russia where I think they use AK 47s. Okay. So I'm totally using, Hey, you, you know, saved totally me with baseball. I saved you with, uh, with guns. <laughs> anyway, what I, this whole time I was watching, I thought they were comparing him to an airplane. Literally, <laughs> literally, this is the first time I, I put that together. They called him AK 47. I thought that was the name of a plane. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I'm sure your thought is still valid, relevant. I mean, I know what an AK 47 is, but. I thought they were calling him an airplane because his wingspan was like seven feet long. He's one of the best defenders in, in the league, probably longer than seven foot wingspan. Kobe absolutely torches him. He dropped 62 and three quarters against the Mavericks. You know who made the finals that year? Yeah. The Mavericks made it. No, like this was no, like this was a really, really good team. And that team should have won the title that year. It's another story. And he lights them up like a Christmas tree. Right where it didn't matter what you did, he was going to take the shot and he was going to make it. And all the shots that you're trying to get him to shoot, he actually wants to take those shots because he's that good. He's that skilled. Um, and so it just keeps taking me back to, to that because Curry, although he plays differently, he still gives it to you in variety, even though he's shooting, you know, 16, 18, three pointers in a game, the way he's getting those shots, He's getting them in a variety of ways, just like Kobe giving it to you. I mean, you get some threes, he gets some mid range, he gets post up, get to the paint, get in transition, get to the free throw line. Um, and, and so it's just fun to watch players when they truly have mastered the game and to, to Curry. And when you're in that kind of zone, like the game's moving in slow motion. Um, Jokic is a guy right now, the game is moving in slow motion for him. And uh, I'm really hoping that they make the the playing game or get up to a seven or eight seed or maybe even higher. We just kind of see how, how things go. And are, are you a fan of the playing game? Uh, I think I got to see it play out here. I mean, I, I was a fan of it last year, just simply because the bubble, I think it needed a little extra pizzazz anyway. I don't know if I'm going to like having it be part of part of it, it for the long term, but, and I mean, I guess any excuse to have, potentially like Luka Doncic or Steph Curry in a play-in game. That's pretty crazy. We could see some wild stuff out of those guys. Yeah. I mean, there's always a chance that you wouldn't see that player as much if they were a seven and eight seed and got knocked out right by a nine or a 10. Um, At the same time, I think that too many teams make the playoffs in the NBA. So hear hear me out because this may not make sense. Too many teams make the playoffs in the NBA. There's 30 teams in the league. The way we have it, 16 of them make the playoffs, eight on each side. That's too many, right? You get bad teams, especially, I should should say, the West is stacked. You get bad teams in the East that make the playoffs. Too many teams make the playoffs. So essentially by guaranteeing six spots on each side in the playoffs, you've cut it down from 12, making sure that you're in the playoffs from the 16 that it was at. So I like that. Because 
these bottom teams, especially in the East, it don't really matter if they make it or not. They're all terrible, right? For, for the most part. So I know that 10 teams get a shot, but really six is like, okay, we're legit from, from here on up. So I like that aspect of it. And then it's a little bit of the March madness involved. So if you're not familiar with the play in game, here's how it breaks down. The seven and the eight seed play each other and whoever wins that game gets the seven seed and they're automatically in the nine and the 10 seed play each other. Whoever loses that game is out. So now you have the winner of the nine, 10 game and the loser of the seven and eight game who then play each other for the eighth final seed and spot. Whoever wins that game then goes on to get that eight seed in the playoffs. So if you're a nine or 10, you got to go two and oh. If you are uh, a seven or eight seed, you have to win one out of two to be guaranteed one of those spots. And um, it has made some of these bottom level teams in the, in the NBA, I think be a little bit more competitive. Normally if you're a 10 and you're like, ah, there's no way I'm going to get the eight, you'd scrap the season, you'd start tanking. Um, but listen, owners want some money. A lot of them do. There's playoff revenue involved, right? You, you make the playoffs. So um, for them to be able to fight for that spot and say, hey, if we're a 10 seed, maybe we can make the eight seed. And then we're going to play, you know, yeah, we're going to lose in the first round, but we're going to get around more home games, a little more money. Um, and so there's less teams that are tanking because of that. Um, and then how they've switched the playoff, the lottery around a little bit. So, you know, the worst record isn't for sure or close to for sure getting that top pick uh, helps as well. And to be honest with you, it's not like there's a stacked group of players ready to jump into the NBA next year. So I think that helps uh, these teams that are still trying to fight for those 10 spots overall, you know, I like it. Yeah. I think it could create some, some juicy scenarios that, that I'm looking forward to. I mean, just to get playoff basketball back is going to be, is going to be awesome. It's been kind of a strange season as people are maneuvering injuries and, and trying to preserve themselves for, you know, just what it's like to have a season while a pandemic is still going on. Um, so last thing, like as we exist in this world where I don't know if people were following Curry when he first came into the league, but, but at that time, the golden state warriors were wondering who do we put the ball in whose hands, Monte Ellis or Stephen Curry. And as you mentioned and touch on the ball handling, when he came into the league, people weren't even sure if he was going to be a point guard, if he was going to be a combo guard, if he was going to spend more time off the ball, no one had any idea that he'd be able to impact the game with his ball handling in the way that he is right now. It's absurd. So we go from, and hey, maybe we'll give the ball to Monte Ellis at the top of the key over Steph Curry to now talking about him being the second best point guard in history with probably five, six years left to go is pretty awesome. Um, just a question for you. Do you see Curry uh, continuing this play and being able to get himself like in the top two or three of the MVP conversation before the season's over? Um, I think that if, if the, he's going to be in that level of the conversation, they need to keep winning. Um, right now he's the leading scorer in the NBA. Um, they're in that play in game mix. Um, so for sure he's a top five, you know, right now he's probably be like a four or five, but, um, if they're, if he stays on this streak through the rest of the season, which is less than what a month left in the season, 
then you're thinking about, okay, well, who are the candidates that would be ahead of him? I think Jokic is your MVP, right? He hasn't missed any games. What he's doing right now is ridiculous. Like he's the MVP. Prior to that, it was Embiid for me, but he missed too many games. So uh, Embiid's got to take a step down and he's, he's coming back. And so depending on how well he plays to finish out the season, I'm sure he'll get some votes. But the fact that Jokic has played the whole season, he's got to be, he's got to be number one. Um, I think Embiid, assuming he plays well, finish the season pretty strong is two. Um, I don't think you look at, you know, usually some of the top uh, teams in the league get some votes. So does that mean Donovan Mitchell is going to be in the MVP voting? I don't see it. Does that mean Chris Paul or Devin Booker is going to be in the top, you know, five of the MVP voting? Maybe Chris Paul gets some like five votes. I could see that possibly happening, but then you think, okay, if you're voting for him, you're not going to put Steph Curry ahead of him, right? So almost, I feel like if you put Chris Paul in, you're certainly going to put in Steph Curry ahead of him based on how he's played and carried that team. LeBron was in the conversation, but he's missed, he's missed so many games that I don't know if you can put him into the top three. Kawhi Leonard, it's funny, the, the Clippers, people – after how bad the Clippers were in the playoffs last year, after how bad the Clippers were in the playoffs last year, people have literally been like, who, who are these guys? Who's Paul George? Who's Kawhi Leonard? These guys, there's no way they're going to do it with anything matters. So because they have, I think they have the best record in the league since um, the all-star break came back, people have given up on the Clippers. They're not going to get Kawhi Leonard. I mean, maybe he'll get some like fifth place votes. People aren't voting him for, MVP and a big part of the vote. And I don't have a vote. I don't have an MVP vote, but storyline, storyline, what pulls at your heartstrings and what Steph Curry's doing at this time, as we get closer to the end of the season, it's the perfect time to try to swing some votes and change some players' minds compared to if he started the season off like this and then kind of petered out a little bit as the year went on. Thoughts? Yeah. I, I no, I could see him uh, squeezing into the, for sure, the top three, maybe even the top two. If Jokic can keep the nuggets afloat, like I think it's a no brainer, especially if he's, if he's not going to miss any games. Yeah. And the thing about Embiid is that, you know, I think he was the MVP before he got hurt and he plays so well defensively too, that that really, that really helps his case. And there is enough time, I think for him to still make up some ground in this, in this MVP voting, at least to muck it up. I don't know if he can take, take over the number one spot again, but to, if he can go out averaging, you know, 25 and 14 in their remaining games or something there, there's something to be said for that. And Giannis continues to play great. Just kind of puts his head down and this yeah, might be the best be the thing, five. Yeah, be best the thing five. for him is that, you know, nobody is, is giving him attention anymore. It's like you said about Kawhi and Paul George. I don't know that people are truly, truly taking the Clippers seriously when we talk about winning a championship and that might be the best thing for him. Paul how George is, is that yeah. right. How interesting is that, that two of the best teams in the league, Milwaukee in the East and LA in the, in the West, people aren't talking about them. They're not talking about them as being a, a contender based on how awful they've played uh, in the previous year's playoffs. Very interesting. Yeah. And I don't, I don't buy that. It's the same teams. I mean, I'm not going to pick the Clippers to win it all. But Paul George, he's playing great right now. And Kawhi is, is back to kind of his old self of 2019 in some ways. And so 
I don't think they're the same team. I think they've, they've added a couple of pieces that could be really good for them in the playoffs, particularly like Ibaka and Rondo. I think those are two really important pieces for the playoffs And Milwaukee's not the same. They got drew holiday. Drew holiday can, can wreak havoc on the defensive end. And he can also create some shots. And I think as each year goes by, you start, Milwaukee starts to realize, you know, maybe Giannis isn't this guy that we're going to give the ball to in space and just ask him to create something. At least I hope they're learning that send him, get him in the post, uh, have him cause mismatch problems. I want him to play closer to a center than I want him to play a guard. And I think if Milwaukee can figure that out, Middleton and holiday can play well, I don't think they're the same team, but those are, those are separate conversations. Well, it was good. I mean, we covered a lot of bases with the topic of Steph Curry, um, you know, shared a little story here and there. That was a, that was a good time. So as we head into the playoffs, um, this is when I really get geared up for the playoffs. I mean, I'll, honestly, I, I keep track of the NBA, but I don't watch a ton of NBA until college basketball this season has finished and it has. High school basketball went deeper than usual, especially in the state of Michigan. That's passed. I've watched more high school basketball online with the Coach's Edge branch of my business that I started in I ever had before. So I've been ingrained in college and high school basketball and now those things are over, man. And so now it's, you know, you turn a new leaf and it's, it's just in time to gear up for the playoffs as they kick off next, next month. And I'm excited to also the, the New Orleans Pelicans thing, Zion Williamson, dude, what happened? And I'm not just talking about the fact that that team has underperformed. This would be another podcast. What happened to Zion Williamson? Like, and I don't say this in a bad way, but I thought he was going to come in the NBA and be some variation of Charles Barkley and Blake Griffin, like just dunking on people, putting his armpit in the rim, jumping over top of, of people and like looking down on them and then switching hands in the air and then dunking it with the other and jumping from, you know, near the free throw line. And he, he turned into like this ground and pound quick explosive, like crossover spin move, come back to the left under the rim score. I mean, he still dunks. Don't get me wrong. And his, like his, his quick pop jump or his second jump is the fastest in the NBA. Like he can just like pop off the floor and then he's above the rim and he can, he can get a dunk. But the stuff that he was doing at Duke or the stuff that he was doing in high school, he doesn't do it anymore. Hardly. You know, I thought we were going to get at least a few years of the ESPN. Like, did you see what Lob City did? I mean, remember that for a few years? You're like, I can't wait to turn on the TV and see what Blake Griffin and who he destroyed uh, yesterday. And we haven't really seen that with, with Zion Williamson, yet he's putting up historical stats. I mean, he's shooting like 60-some percent from the field and absolutely dominant whenever he touches the ball. He's just a bucket. It's just, uh, it's really strange. I can't quite figure it out other than like, has he decided I'm not going to play that type of ball because I don't want to get hurt or maybe he is already banged up. So he's like, I just can't play the style of play already, even though I'm 20 or 21 years old, I, I can't put a finger on it. It is kind of strange to watch and he hasn't gotten any, any smaller. Like if anything, he looks I don't, maybe more muscular, mm-hmm. but we, we had concerns about that. Like when he came out, like, is this too much? Is there too much meat on his bones for him to be able to be a player like that for a while? And we saw it with Blake Griffin, like Blake Griffin might be the only player that could give Vince Carter a run for his money in terms of in-game dunking. 
Like, I feel like if we're, if we're going to line people up, Blake Griffin is right there as one of the best in-game dunkers of all time. And he's fallen off a cliff athletically. And we saw similar things with Derek Rose, like these guys that just get so high in the air and then come crashing down. Like, I do wonder if Zion has people in his ear where they're like, Hey, you know, just lay it up. Just, just lay it up. You don't have to jump that extra three inches, but he, he also might lead the league in plays where it looks like he could have dunked it. And instead he just laid it in. Yeah. Like I say that all the time about the, the Michael Jordan switch in the air against the Lakers in the finals. I'm like, that's a really cool shot. Don't get me wrong. Would have been cooler if he dunked it. Cause he could have. <laughs> and I, I think that about Zion quite a bit too. So I don't know what's going on. Um, but also can't complain about the the stuff that he's doing. And, and the fact that two thirds of the time that he's putting up a shot, it's going in. So yeah, crazy. I hope Stan, Stan can figure it out. I hope they give Stan the benefit of the doubt. Like, I think there's some things internally with that team too, that probably aren't going as well as they should, but they got a good nucleus if they can figure it out. Yeah. It's, it's the surrounding pieces that don't fit like Steven Adams doesn't fit. Um, they got rid of Redick. You get rid of Redick. You should have been playing him like 30 minutes a game is what you should have been doing. Like he would have been a perfect piece to play on that team. Instead they parked him on the bench and then they shipped him out of there. And it was like, that was one of the guys that you needed on the court to help you guys out. You know, you didn't play him and then you got him out. They need to put shooting. They need to put better fit. You can't have a guy like Adams clogging up the, the basket. You got a, a Zion in there who lives in the paint. Um, so I don't know about the Stan Van Gundy thing. I could easily see him being gone after this year. But when you look at the roster um, and you do see some talented pieces, but you're like, those pieces just don't, just don't fit. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, Tay, Tay, we've gone way too long. We've gone way too long with this podcast, but a lot of good uh, subjects. Why don't you close this out? Yeah, we appreciate you guys for listening. Definitely. We, we wanted to hit on 